just a privilege to be back here. We didn't expect to be back so soon as uh, Lewis was mentioning. Um, we, when, last time we were here, we were talking about uh, least reached people groups that we were ministering among in the Amazon jungle in Bolivia. And we were uh, zealous for our ministry and so thankful to be there and looking forward to returning. Um, and we actually did uh, return uh, in January of 2020 uh, to start there again. And um, really leading up to our departure, unrest was growing in Bolivia. We weren't sure if we were going to be able to fly out or not. And uh, as it got closer, we thought, I think we thought we could and we should go back. And we went back and we were staying in an uh, apartment in the city um, while we were waiting to go back to the jungle, and while we were in that apartment, we uh, sort of leading up to that, and while we were there, we were hearing news about things that were changing in the particular location where we had been ministering. Um, the civil unrest created uh, particular problems for our family because we were isolated in the jungle, and um, because of really a variety of dynamics, uh, there were people that were leaving our town that we had worked with, and our leadership was saying that we uh, needed to consider other ministry somewhere, start over, because without a team, uh, we were really, um, could have been potential targets in the particular place that we were in. If we'd had a team around us, we might have been able to stay, but uh, being alone like that, it was hard to manage. And then just uh, the reality that we were going to have to start over, even if we were able to go back, caused us to stay in the apartment in La Paz, in the city, and wait on the Lord. It's exactly what we did. Uh, I, we had no idea what to do. Uh, it broke our hearts to consider not going back. Um, and so I really had no answers. Joy had no answers about what we should do. So we just waited on the Lord. And through tears and anguish and a lot of sorrow, we continued just to cry out to the Lord for wisdom. And I remember even studying a psalm in the middle of the night, uh, psalm, psalm 34, I believe, where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It was three o'clock in the morning, and I was crying to the Lord, um, mourning really the idea of the, the loss of our ministry in Bolivia and not sure what to do about it. And I remembered an email that uh, SIM, our missions organization, had sent out several months prior and that email had uh, mentioned the need, the, the serious need for a personnel director uh, to come to the home office and oversee our 700 missionaries around the world. And really in a weak place, uh, I wasn't strong in my thinking or in my feeling. I just sent an email, middle of the night, and asked if that position was still open. Just wondering if for some reason the Lord had brought it to my mind. The email had arrived a few months before. Uh, and for some reason, I was remembering it in the middle of the morning, crying out to the Lord, and I thought, maybe, maybe this is prompting from the Spirit of the Lord. I don't know, but I'll just send the email, and I thought, uh, they're just going to say, position's been filled, and I'll just say, okay, that eliminates that option, but I feel like I at least need to consider it. And um, they wrote back in the morning and said, uh, the position hasn't been filled. And I still thought, okay, I'm just going to leave that over here, just keep on seeking the Lord, not sure if that's what he would have us to do, and really nervous to even consider that idea. And then later that afternoon, they wrote me back and said, Chris, we just need to know, were you asking for someone else, or were you asking for yourself? I said, well, and I just explained. It was the middle of the night, I was crying. 
<laughs> and I remember this email, so I just sent it to you. This is where we are. And so from that point on, uh, things gathered momentum, and we uh, really became convinced that the Lord would have us to come back and be a part of helping churches to send more Christians. Uh, if we couldn't be in the area that we wanted to be in among least reached people groups, we recognized that we needed to be sending a part of sending more people so that a team can actually go back, so that, uh, that a community like that can have a group of people, missionaries, who are working together to spread the gospel among 225 at least uh, remote villages in the jungle. And so we came back. I started as uh, personnel director, and uh, right in the middle of COVID, we arrived 12 days before the lockdown. And uh, so we had two bags in each of our hands and a piece and an empty house that we were moving into. Joy went and bought, uh, got dishes and plates uh, from Goodwill, and we slept on air mattresses that one of our, my coworkers loaned us for uh, actually a couple of months. And then uh, we just began in earnest making a new home in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was a tough season early on because we were still mourning the loss of leaving Bolivia, trying to uh, find a new community and a new place, and also um, really starting a job in which missionaries around the world were struggling because of COVID. Uh, there were people stranded everywhere. There were evacuations that needed to take place for reasons unrelated to COVID, um, but were uh, complicated because of COVID. Because if planes aren't flying, how do you get someone out of a country? And so just difficult things like that and menace, trying to minister to other missionaries even while we were hurting quite a bit ourselves. Um, but as time went on, we sort of got our, gotten our feet under us and uh, the U.S. director of uh, SIM USA, uh, he was new. He arrived about a month before I did from uh, another ministry and he had been developing this goal for our organization that we would, uh, we would hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 9.38, which says the, worker, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, and that we would make it our organizational goal to help churches send uh, double the number of workers that are sent through our organization. So we've averaged in the past about 50 missionaries sent out from SimUSA every year, and our goal now is to send out over 100 missionaries per year. And so once he arrived at that goal and we landed on it as an organization, he asked me if I would take on the newly created role of chief recruitment officer. And in so many ways, this is uh, really feels like to us uh, that there's purpose behind this, uh, that the Lord has now given us the experience of being in a place that needs more workers, deepened our affection for least reached people groups around the world who don't have a gospel witness and then put us in a place where we can be a, a, a part of sending more workers around the world. And so that motivates us on a daily basis. And through all that time, a lot of transition in a year and a half now, um, we are grateful for the support of uh, Signal Mountain Bible Church. You guys have been with us in ways probably that you don't always know because sometimes uh, you, you don't see uh, the, the various people who are reaching out to us on a regular occasion to ask us how we're doing or pray for us or to give to us financially. We're still supported workers who now work in the United States to send more workers out. And we believe this is as strategic as anything we've ever done because now instead of one isolated family on the field, we are now sending multiple families. And just uh, as we were leaving Charlotte uh, to come here on Thursday, 
uh, there were 15 people on our campus who were just beginning the process of preparing to leave and go for the field. And two weeks prior to that, uh, there were 12 families that were, had their tickets in hand and were about to go to countries all around the world. And we're a part of that, and so we're grateful for that opportunity and privilege. And we believe that the Lord has shown that he is good and that he has given us ministry. So we want to thank you and thank you for the opportunity to be back here with you today. Uh, you all mean a lot to us. And we are so appreciative of knowing that you're behind us and supporting us through all of this time. So I want to pray now and just ask that the Lord would give me his grace and you his grace as we hear his word. Father, we thank you so much for uh, being there for us when we are waiting on you. Through the storm and through the night, we will wait for you. And we will know with confidence in our hearts because you've demonstrated your faithfulness over and over again that you will satisfy us. In our deepest longings, in our deepest needs, you are there for us. And we thank you that you are there when we wait for you. I pray, Father, that we would uh, be more active in our waiting, that we would trust you more deeply. And I pray, Father, that as we walk through your word now, that you would continue to minister to us and to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help me to be clear, Lord. Uh, it is your name. It is your glory. It, it is you who is worthy that people from every tribe and tongue and nation would worship you. And Father, we pray that you would work in our hearts so that we might take another step today in obedience to the great commission that your Son has given to us. May we hear the great commission with the weight that it's supposed to land upon us with. May we hear it from the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. And we, may we be changed by it so that your name might be renowned and that people who are destined for an eternity without you might hear your gospel, which saves, and that they might be given new life to live with you as worshipers forever. I pray you do that, the impossible, through this sermon. In Jesus' name, amen. So the, the, the goal of the sermon, I, I laughed a little bit when the announcement was made about this Wednesday night and how it might feel like uh, we're trying to get you to come on Wednesday night, and in fact we are. I feel that way as chief recruitment officer. It might feel that if you invited a guy from a mission agency with the title of chief recruitment officer that he's here to recruit you to be a missionary, and that would be the case. That's why I'm here. Uh, I, I, I want to recruit you to be a missionary, or I want to recruit you to be more deeply involved in the Great Commission. Uh, and that's not a new thing because of my title. That's been something that I've wanted to do since uh, I became a pastor and even beforehand. I would love for people uh, to be more engaged in following the Great Commission. That's the outcome of the sermon that we're looking for here. So you know where we're headed in all of that. Um, I want you... Uh, to consider how you might be more deeply engaged in the mission that you have, whether it's in this community or it's in supporting missionaries around the world or it's in going yourself. And I would love for each of you, and I encourage this in my own life, that you would always ask the question, what, what is the way uh, that the Lord would have me to use my life, to invest my life in obedience to the Great Commission? How are we to do that? And so uh, let's consider that together by, the, by, by prayer, even in constant prayer as we walk through this sermon together. Will you think about how the Lord might have you to take another step 
in obedience to the Great Commission? I want to do that. Uh, it might be predictable that we would go to Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I do preach on other texts, by the way. Uh, the reason I chose this one, though, is that uh, I want to think about it from a little bit of a different angle this morning. So uh, Lewis read it. It's Jesus came to, and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I, I first just want you to step back and hear it again as if it was maybe the first time that you had heard it or just re-evaluate what's being said here by Jesus. There are really sweeping commands being made here. By Jesus to disciples who are listening to him. He, he is first telling his disciples and really all of his disciples through the ages, including everyone that's sitting here today. He's telling them to make disciples of him from all the nations on the earth. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Here's a man, Jesus, standing before disciples and then speaking this through the ages and saying, there should be disciples, followers of me, among all the nations of the earth. That is a really sweeping command. That everyone should be told to follow Him. Everyone in the world should be told to follow Jesus. And then, this kind of discipleship, this following of Jesus, is actually characterized by teaching everyone to obey Everything that Jesus has commanded. I, it, consider that statement from really anyone. As if you're just hearing it for the first time. That someone would say, everyone on the earth needs to be, should be a follower of mine. And they should obey everything that I have commanded. It's a sweeping, sweeping statements here. And then a staggering claim that precedes it. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and in earth. And if you... You can just think about that image for a minute. Really, if you cover heaven and cover earth, that's the whole thing. That He has authority over everything and everyone. And Jesus is speaking it with this authority to these disciples. I just want you to consider afresh the magnitude of the words being said here. Jesus is claiming universal authority in heaven and earth. And He's commanding people through generations to make followers of Him and every people group around the world and the way they are to be made disciples or at least what accompanies that is that they are to be baptized in His name and then taught to obey everything He has said. I think there's a danger in reading this kind of a sweeping mandate, command, in isolation from the story that precedes it. But I think that's exactly how it's often taught in missions conferences or other places, is that you hear the Great Commission, but we don't often recognize or think through the fact that there's an entire story that leads up to this point of climax when Jesus is before the disciples and then making this mandate. I think there's a danger in just looking at the end of the story, the end of the book, and these sweeping claims, sweeping commands, and hearing them. And one of the dangers is that we might A, misunderstand them, and that B, they wouldn't actually land on us with the weight that they ought to. Because it really makes a difference who's saying these words. I mean, if I were to stand before you and say, 
Go everywhere in the world and make disciples of me. Everyone should follow me. And everything you've heard me say throughout my life, you, you ought to tell them, teach them to obey me. If I were to say that, you, you should discount that immediately. It doesn't come with any kind of real weight. It shouldn't be obeyed. You should laugh at that reality. So it really matters who's saying these words. So we need to hear the story that Matthew tells that leads up to this. So once you imagine the commitment that Jesus is making to you, and I want you to be reminded of the weight of the person that is speaking the words. Imagine if you were to skip right to the vows of a marriage ceremony without even really knowing the person that you're standing beside. Do you take this person to have and to hold for the rest of your life through sickness, health, rich and poor? Are you ready to make that vow now even though maybe you just have a vague familiarity of the person that you're standing by? If you want to make that kind of commitment, you really want to know the person that you're making the, to whom you're making the commitment. And the, the Great Commission is even a greater kind of call. It's more far-reaching across the world, sweeping in its range. The questions that might come from someone who's giving such a great commission are, is this person credible? Is the kind of person that really everyone should follow what he says? Does he have that kind of, is he that kind of person that everyone should follow everything he says? And does he even have a right? Does he have authority to say to the person in Southeast Asia or the person worshiping idols in the jungle? Does he have the authority to say, you ought to follow me? People ought to be told that. Whether we realize it or not, I think we all could harbor doubts whether Jesus has the credibility to command this kind of thing to other people. I mean, are his instructions such that people from all over Asia and Africa and South America, Europe and Australia and North America should all be taught to obey everything that he said? Does he really have that kind of authority in heaven and on earth? And I think most everyone in this room would say, yes, he has that credibility. You're, you're coming to church. I believe he has that credibility and that authority. But I would say that there is something about our belief that always needs to be deepened so that it works itself out in real actions. That there's a sense in which we believe things, but it doesn't always translate into obedience because we don't believe them deeply enough. So I think the danger is for us, even though we know Jesus, that we could hear these words, but they have let go of their weight over time. And we don't hear them with the power with which they're spoken from the person from whom they are spoken. There's a survey, you've heard these kinds of surveys, two-thirds of Americans say they believe Jesus physically rose from the dead. Two-thirds say they believe that, that Jesus physically rose from the dead. So just... Take that for a second and think, if someone died and then rose from the dead, you would think that believing something like that really happened would dramatically impact the way that you live the rest of your life. Two-thirds of Americans say they believe that, and yet that belief hasn't translated into this sort of allegiance to Christ that it ought to. He came back from the dead. It's never happened before. Defeated death. 
And yet belief is not translating to an allegiance to Christ among so many of these two-thirds of Americans. Or among American Christians in particular who would all say, yes, Jesus has authority. Yes, Jesus has given us this great commission to make disciples of all the nations. Among those Christians, among those Americans, we have a stat like this. American Christians have spent more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount given to the unreached. Halloween costumes for their pets among American Christians. And this is not a sermon about giving or guilting you. It's, this is just an example to say sometimes we can believe something and yet not really believe it at the depth at which we should. And we need to be reminded at the weight of the words of the Great Commission. That Jesus is in fact credible. That He has the authority. That He is worthy enough to give something so sweeping as the Great Commission to followers through the ages and around the world. So I want to hear it again. We actually see that Matthew wants us to do this. If we're reading the words in Matthew 28, 18-20 closely enough, we'll recognize that Matthew's calling for us to think about the story he's told in his Gospel. So if you just think through what's happening here, Jesus is commanding us to baptize those who will be His followers. Baptism of Jesus is how the Gospel actually starts. In the first the second chapter, Jesus Himself is baptized. And so you have a baptism at the beginning of the book and the baptism at the end which frames the book of Matthew. And so even in the end, we're being drawn back to the beginning of the story. We also hear in the Great Commission that Jesus wants us to teach others to obey all that He's commanded. And it's widely known that in the Gospel of Matthew, there are five teaching discourses, five teaching blocks within the book itself. There's the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, or the Missionary Discourse in Matthew 10, Parables of the Kingdom, Matthew 13, the Community Discourse in Matthew 18, the Mount of Olives Discourse in Matthew 24. And each of those blocks ends with a same, the same kind of phrase. And when Jesus finished these sayings, five times that occurs throughout the book of Matthew, at the end of each of those teaching blocks, and then Jesus says, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. In other words, the Gospel of Matthew is all leading up to this great commission. You're to look at the teaching of Jesus throughout the book, the five teaching blocks, and say, this is what we're to teach to others, that they would obey and follow Him. And finally, you want to think through the fact that the Gospel begins with Jesus being called Emmanuel, God with us, and then it ends with Jesus saying, I will be with you always. Again, book ends to the book. The point I'm trying to make is that when you read the Great Commission, it was never meant to be read in isolation. It was to be read at the end of a story about the person of Jesus Christ. Who it is that is giving the Great Commission. Who's speaking the words. So my goal in this sermon to help you move along in your obedience to the Great Commission is that you might see afresh here again the Great Commission spoken by Jesus. The person who is, whose story is told within the Gospel of Matthew. So I, I won't be able to do that in a sermon completely. I just want to give you a couple of glimpses that will kind of capture, hopefully, the story Matthew is telling about this person who can make such sweeping claims and claim to have such universal authority. And the question, I believe, among other things, 
that Matthew is trying to answer is, does he really have this kind of credibility and this kind of authority to make this sort of mandate? The first image I'd love for you to see in the Gospel of Matthew is that he is the Messiah. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. That means that he is credible. He's the Messiah and therefore he's credible. Because the Messiah is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. Fulfills all of Scripture. I want to walk you through that a little bit. In chapter 1-1, the Gospel starts off with, He is Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. And We've heard Jesus Christ so often together that we often think of Christ as a last name. Sometimes it kind of sounds like that in the Bible. But here especially, in other places, it's a title. Which means Messiah or Anointed One. He is the Anointed One. This, when we start thinking about someone who is anointed in the Bible, makes us think about the kings of Israel. Saul was anointed by Samuel, and David was anointed by Samuel. This sets a precedence for kings to be anointed by prophets when they come onto their, they're installed on the throne. And there's this building expectation in the Old Testament that these kings are anointed ones, but there is one who is coming who is the anointed one. He is the king of all kings. He is the one who will come from the line of David and will be on David's throne eternally. 2 Samuel 7, God promises that from David will come a king who will rule forever. And this promise, along with so many other expectations in the Old Testament, continue to build and build and build for one Messiah, the Anointed One par excellence, to come one day and to restore the kingdom of David and beyond. Matthew makes clear that this title, Messiah, and the idea of this promised King from David, that Jesus is the Son of David, are to be linked together. In the genealogy in Matthew 1, Matthew writes, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ, Messiah, saw all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. David, it plays a prominent role even in the genealogy because we are to see Jesus is the Christ. That is he fulfills the expectation of the anointed one who will come from David. Jesus is identified as the Davidic Messiah throughout the story of his birth. He's the Messiah from the, the king from David's line who will bring restoration. He will bring salvation. He will conquer all the enemies. And he is a compassionate one. Throughout the Gospel of Matthew, you see Jesus not only is the one who will ultimately be king reigning over all as the Davidic Messiah, He's also the one that the weak call out to and say, Son of David. Needs you, Son of David. He is the one who shows compassion. Brings His humble presence to bear upon hurting people. Jesus is the Messiah and fulfills all the expectations given to David in the Scriptures. But not only does Jesus fulfill the promise to David as Messiah, He fulfills God's promise to Abraham that people from every nation on the earth would be blessed through the son of Abraham. And we just read in the genealogy where Jesus is the son of Abraham. And we see that 
People are being blessed through this son of Abraham as they trust in him. Jesus is also fulfilling the role of Israel and the temple. And he's the suffering servant of Isaiah. And he's the son of man in Daniel. He is the Christ. He is the climax of all salvation history. In fact, Jesus doesn't only fulfill some of the Scriptures. He fulfills all of them. It's an amazing thought. All of the Scriptures are fulfilled in this person who's giving this great commission. Which is why Jesus says, when He looks like Moses on Matthew chapter 5, in Matthew chapter 5, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus, as the Messiah, is the one who fulfills the Scriptures. And the one who tells you to make disciples of all the nations is the one who has fulfilled all of God's law, who has obeyed Him perfectly, and who is the one who brings about all of God's promises. So yes, He does have the credibility to say, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. If you fulfill all of God's expectations, you have the credibility to say, teach them to obey what I'm commanding. He is the one who gives this great commission and needs to be heard with this kind of worth. Needs to be heard with this kind of credibility. So Jesus as Messiah is a portrait, the dominant portrait that Matthew presents in his Gospel of the person who gives the great commission. But also Jesus as the Son of God. Right from the very beginning of Matthew, you're given clear indications that this Jesus, He's no ordinary person. And though you might think highly of Him because He's born of David, He's no ordinary descendant of David either. He's extraordinary. In fact, He's one of a kind. Because He is born from the Holy Spirit. He's called Emmanuel. God with us. Staggering. God with us. And the Magi come not to just learn from Him or see the baby. The Magi come to worship Him. And then God Himself from the heavens, when Jesus is being baptized, declares Jesus His beloved Son. He is none other than the Son of God. And not in some sort of mystical way, not in some sort of halfway and that He is growing to be more and more like God. No, He is the Son of God. And His Sonship is confirmed over and over in the Gospel. As He resists Satan's temptations, Satan says, if you're the Son of God, do this. If you're the Son of God, do this. And it's Jesus' obedience to the Father which demonstrates that He in fact overcomes the temptations of Satan. He in fact is the Son of God. Peter will confess it again in chapter 16, verse 16. Who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then at the transfiguration, there's a point there in which Jesus unveils some glimpse of His glory. He's declared in that moment to be the Son of God. Jesus is the very Son of God, and therefore... He has authority in heaven and earth. He's the Son of the Creator of the heavens and the earth. 
Therefore, He has the authority to say, make disciples of all the nations. There's no one living today who Jesus doesn't have authority over. There's no place in the world, whether it's in the Amazon jungle, or it's in the Alps, or it's in the Himalayas, there's no place in the world where Jesus doesn't have authority because He is the Son of God. And therefore, He has the authority to give us this great commission to say, make disciples of all nations. These two titles, Christ, the Messiah, and the Son of God, they actually come together at a particular place among many in Matthew. Most significant of which is actually at the cross. Matthew chapter 26, verses 62 through 64. Jesus is asked, uh, or said, the high priest says to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. In mockery on the cross above his head, there's a reference to the fact that he is the Messiah. It says he's the King of the Jews. Then he's mocked while he's on the cross by those who would stand by and say, if you're the Son of God, come down from there. Rebels who are crucified with Jesus hurl insults to Him. Say if he, he trusts in God, let, him, let God rescue Him now if He wants Him, for He said, I am the Son of God. And after Jesus' death, the centurion, looking at what's taking place around and looking at how Jesus acted while He was on the cross and said, truly, surely He was the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the One who gives us all this great commission. So I hope you hear the words, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Hear them coming from Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. Hear them with the weight of the person who's saying them. Read through and meditate on the Gospel yourself so that you're enamored by who Jesus is. You're struck by His power and might and worthiness. You come to trust in Him more as you see His credibility. That in fact, He has obeyed all of the law of prophets and fulfills every expectation that they had for the coming Anointed One. And recognize that He is the Son of God. And so He says to every follower seated here today, Go and make disciples of, all, of me to of all the nations. He's worthy of that kind of allegiance. And people benefit and are blessed eternally as they follow Him. He can say those words. Unlike any other man or woman in history, He can say, it is right for everyone to give allegiance to Me. It is good for everyone to follow everything I have spoken. Because He is the Christ. He is the Son of God. So I'll finish with outcomes like I did at the beginning. Uh, I began the sermon with. Three hopeful outcomes I have for the sermon. I think maybe it's possible that someone's here who's heard of Jesus many times before. And you've heard the titles of Jesus, that He's the Christ, the Son of God, but you've never actually trusted your own life to Him. 
So you hear this great commission of go and make disciples of all nations, but you recognize, I'm not even a disciple of Jesus. I'm not even following Him. Maybe as you hear the words of Matthew regarding this remarkable God-man, that you would say, I've rebelled against the King of kings. The Anointed One. And I come confessing that and repenting of that rebellion against this great King and I want to follow Him. I want to be Jesus' disciple. He's worthy of my discipleship. He has authority over everything and everyone including me. I'd encourage you if you're feeling that way, take that next step by trusting in Him. Giving your life to follow the King. Maybe there's another outcome here that you've heard the Great Commission really freshly this morning. That would be my hope that the words make disciples of all nations would land on you in a strong way and that you would say, you know what, I really do want to take another step. Whatever that looks like. I want to take an actual, real step with my life in obedience to the Great Commission. Whether it's going, it's committing to prayer in some sort of deep way whether it's giving financially to someone who is going, maybe you're at that place. And then I think it's possible that there's another subset of people here who think, Chris, you really, just really haven't told me anything about Jesus that I didn't already know. I think that's probably most of us. You, you know He's the Christ. You know He's the Son of God. You know what the word Messiah means. You're in good church that teaches the Bible. You know that He's the Son of God and He has authority over all of those things, over everything. None of that's come as a surprise to you. You're sitting there thinking, heard all of this before. So maybe if you're feeling that way this morning, it would be a good time for me to remind you that there are over 3 billion people in the world who know none of that. That they've never actually heard His name before. Three billion people. There are places in the world where you could knock on a door for eight hours a day for four years and never meet a Christian. Every day, eight hours a day for four years and never meet a Christian. There are people, there are people in the world that would find this as news to them. It's news that they haven't heard yet. It's not like something they've heard over and over and over again. It's news. There was a man who came. And though every human on the face of the earth in one way or the other is trying to please their God, there's a man who came who pleased the God of... of, uh, the, the, the one true God. The one who created all the heavens and the earth. He obeyed Him perfectly. And every hope and every expectation, eternal life, all of that is possible in Him. He's the Messiah. He's the King over all kings and authorities. And He's actually the Son of God. He's the Son of God who came as a human, and then live this perfect life for us. And then, although we were all rebels and 
didn't know how desperately we needed salvation. He died on the cross for us. And He bore the wrath of God against us. He took on our sin and was punished for it, even though He had done no wrong. And then they laid Him in a tomb and three days later, He rose from the dead. And now He invites people all over the world to follow Him. To a life that leads to eternal joy and worship of God in truth and in spirit forever. There are people in the world who need to hear that. Even if you've heard it a thousand times in your own experience, there are people still who have not heard it. So when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, therefore make disciples of all nations, he has the credibility and authority to command it to us once again this morning. My prayer and hope is that you'll hear it anew this morning from the one who has that kind of authority. So how, how can you respond? I mean, I've asked you all to consider taking a next step. Um, I've just got a few suggestions that are, I, I would love for you to consider one of these, but the real goal is just for you to consider a next step. I think it's helpful sometimes not to always think about the the, the, the long run, but just think about what can I do today that would be a next step. These are just examples that I'd love for you to, to talk with you about or for you to sign up with at the table that we're going to have in the back. One of them is just 30 minutes of prayer for the next 30 days. One minute a day for the next 30 days. Uh, SIMI organization, we send out a text or an email every day at 9.38 for Matthew 9.38. It's not enough workers. And that prayer request is a text that just talks about someone who is on the path to becoming a missionary. And it just, they're, they're trying to pay off their college debt or they are struggling with a, a loved one who is sick and they're trying to pack up before they leave. Just texts like that of real people whose names we've changed for security purposes that you can pray for on a daily basis. Just one minute a day praying that the Lord would raise up more workers and praying for the workers who are actually responding in this way to the Great Commission. We're trying to raise up 100,000 workers across the United States to be praying every day for more workers because that's really, that's really the greatest strategy of my job as a recruitment officer is just pray, right? What do you do when there aren't enough workers? Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send more workers. So if you think there needs to be more workers, then let's pray together. Another way you might do that would be if you feel like, I would just like to know, just have a conversation with someone. Without any kind of commitment, just a conversation about what it might look like for me to consider going as a missionary. We have coaches. that That's what they do. Every day of their work, they talk to people, dream with people, help people think about how they might Consider cross-cultural ministry, whether it should be short-term or long-term. And then, of course, you can pray for some worker, whether it's here. You've got so many missionaries that you send out that you might even write them and say, I'd love to be on your prayer letter or talk with someone here, the Missions Council, about getting a prayer letter so that you might pray along with these. All of these are steps that I think everyone in this, person, in this room could take. A step to pray, a step to support or commit to a worker or a 
step to engage in conversation, to discern what the Lord might have you to do next. All of that, we'd love to talk to you about in the back in obedience to this king. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your son. It's in his name that we pray. So we speak to you who's the holy God and we ask you for things we need in our life and we do it without flinching. We do it without being nervous even though we're approaching the God of the universe. And we do it because we come in your son's name. And your son's name has that kind of power, that kind of credibility and authority. He, he fulfilled all righteousness so we can pray to you and expect that our prayers will be heard and answered because we have his righteousness. We can pray to you and know that you will hear it because he is your son and we pray in his name with that kind of authority. So, Father, I pray in his name that you would help us to see Jesus more clearly today. That we could imagine standing on the mountain with him after the resurrection, having come to the conclusion that he defeated death and he had authority over all things. That we, we could be people who have walked with him, heard him teach, and we could hear him say again to us, go make disciples of all nations. And that we would hear it with the weight that it deserves. And we consider our own lives, what we're planning to do in the coming week, what we're planning to do in the coming year. And we'd think about how we might be able to leverage those things in a step of obedience to, your, to his great commission. Pray, Father, that you would give us a heart and a burden for people around the world who don't even know his name. I pray, Father, that you would motivate us by the glory that's to come. We thank you, Lord, for making us the disciples of Christ. Someone invited us to be disciples somewhere in our life. And we ask, Father, that you would guide us and direct us so that we might be disciples of others. He is worthy. He is credible.